This is the Catholic Wire. Well, I'm trying to make the talk short today because, you know, as I said, I might get called at any time. I want to talk today about a virtue that is very proper to, to Advent, which is humility. We had this same conversation with the mothers, a little bit of a different uh, approach, as we always do. And with men, uh, I would like to take a little bit of the figure of St. John the Baptist. Now, I'll be honest with you, I prepared my talk yesterday, but I don't like how it came out. So <laughs> I'm going to take a little bit of the, the talk for the ladies and a little bit of a talk that I prepared yesterday. The first thing that I would like to mention about humility is we tend to get, this doesn't work, <clears throat> we tend to get a very uh, wrong notion of humility, especially as men. Because when we see the, the, the practice of humility, it might seem at first as weakness. You know, when you see a guy that is being meek, when you see someone that is humbling himself in front of others, uh, the first thought that comes to mind is weakness. And in some cases it is. You know, if you, there might be people that act very humbly, but sometimes it's just weakness, it's not virtue. True humility, however, has that balance in men, has that balance of on the one side being strong enough to do your duty and to impose yourself when it is your duty to do so. And on the other side, being humble enough to never make it about yourself. And we will talk about that right now. I want to give you first the figure of St. John the Baptist. And let's remember the things that we hear about St. John. The first thing is, we hear that he goes to the desert when he was a child. And he goes and lives in the desert. And he feeds off of locusts and wild honey. Over there already, we have a lot to consider. Because a lot of times when we think of the saints, we think of them as if they were some kind of robots. You know, like it's like, well, St. John the Baptist did that, but, you know, it was St. John the Baptist, so, you know, he was going to do that. But no, he was a human being just like any of us. And imagine for yourself at your age to go out into the mountains over here and just sleep in a cave with no, and try it. I mean, most of you probably have camped and you might have tried sleeping with no sleeping bag or sleeping without a, 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 a pillow. And it's kind of impossible. If you're not used to it, it's very, very difficult. <coughs> so you have to take into consideration all those things. He suffered a lot as a man that he was. The other thing that we know about him is that he, he went out to preach. And at one time in his preaching, he changed. He changed his, his actions. Because he was preaching and he was growing in his preaching and he was becoming very famous, very uh, people would hear him. Let me see, I think this, there you go. People would listen to him. And then at the moment where he sees our Lord, he stops gathering disciples and he switches. He says, okay, now it's time. He says it himself. Now it's time for me to diminish and it's time for him to grow. And the last thing that we know about St. John the Baptist is why he died. What I mentioned in the sermon last time. He died because he was telling, telling the truth. He died because he was fulfilling his duty. So based on that, there's three aspects that are related to humility that I want to talk about. One is, uh, we'll call it God-centered decisions. 
decision making, let's say, which we see in St. John the Baptist, where at the time where it was necessary for him to step out, he steps out. The other aspect that we can see is renunciation. And the other aspect is humility. Humility itself to, to think and act lowly of oneself. So we're going to keep coming back to these three points. Before we go into this as a sort of introduction, let me say something. We men, we are more practical, right? I mean, uh, some men are more abstract. I'm more on, on the abstract side, probably. But most of us, you know, we want to get practical. We want to see, okay, what do I have to do? What, what, how is this going to change my life? What, why is this important? Humility is important because it is absolutely necessary for you to have it if you want to persevere in grace and get to God. Um, they say pride precedes the fall, and that is very true. If, if you see a person fall, fall out of the faith, fall out of a marriage, fall out of whatever, there's always pride. There's always pride in there. And so the point here to be made is if you want to secure your salvation, if you want to make your family work, and if you have children, if you want to make sure that your children's family works and they have a good life, you have to instill in them this virtue. It's absolutely necessary. God says himself that he rejects the proud and that he links the humble. So that's why it's important for us. But when it comes to humility, now I go to the mother's talk, what we discussed over there. There's two sides. There is the intellectual side and the will, as we always, I always go back to these things. Ask yourself, if someone, if a father came and asked you, are you a great sinner? Uh, would you say yes? You probably say yes. We would all say yes because we know it's the right thing to do. <laughs> you know. So, in truth, I think everybody would recognize him. Every good Catholic, every Catholic that has some formation, would say yes. I'm a great sinner. So we have the intellectual side to a certain degree. We have the part of recognizing it. We'll call it self, self knowledge. But here's the part that we miss. If father came and asked you, do you want to be treated as a big, as a big sinner? There we would definitely think about it for a while because we know, well, a great sinner, what does he deserve, right? I mean, if you sinned against God, let's say that one committed just one mortal sin against God, just one, that's enough to be treated like trash for the rest of your life. Right? If people put you in jail and they, if they put you out in, here in the, in the church and they said, well, everybody that walks into the church has to spit on your face and you have to ask everyone, beg for forgiveness, that would be perfectly fine because a mortal sin deserves that and more. I mean, we deserve hell for a mortal sin. So any kind of treatment that we deserve would be right. And this is a part that we don't want, the part of the consequence. So that's why our humility many times is just halfway there. 
we're, we're only like halfway humble. You know, I know the truth of who I am, but I don't want that to be applied to me. And this was the difference with the saints. The saints not only knew that they were great sinners, but they were okay. They, they made that decision of saying, okay, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take the consequences of that. You know, if someone comes and treats me badly, I'm going to take it because I deserve it. If someone comes and abuses my, my goodwill, I'm going to take it because I deserve it. And so it wasn't out of weakness that they were humble. Many of them could fight back, but it was out of this decision of consequence. So far, any questions? No? Okay. And this leads us to where does humility come from? Humility comes from two of the cardinal virtues, you could say. One is temperance, because humility is a way in which I temper my desire for my own glory. But the other one is justice. And that goes into here. When you are a real humble person, you're willing to have justice applied to you. The We hear of St. Joseph, when you look at the Gospels, you hear of how St. Joseph, uh, the only praise that is done in the Gospel of him is that he was a just man. And that says everything. Because if he was a just man, that means he was humble. That means that he gave to God what he was his due. That means that you gave to men what was their due, etc., etc. So this is kind of like the broad aspect of it. Let's go into each one of these three. I want to talk first about this one of God-centered decision-making. All of these things, you know, I can, say, I can tell you, I've, I've seen them in myself, and that's how a lot of these time thoughts come to my head, because I'm thinking to myself, well, what is the source of the things that I do wrong? You know, the mistakes that I make, uh, the things that, where I fail, what is the source of that? And if you think about it, our decisions are always based on me. And this is a great problem for men, I must say. When you see marriages failing, when you see parents not doing their jobs, it's a lot of, a lot of times, and I'll say it with all truth, is men that fail. Men fail, I would say, even more than women. It's hard to say it, but it's the truth. And that's why I say that these videos should not be seen by the women. Uh, but it's the truth. Men are the ones that fail. Mm, we could have statistics, I don't know of any, but uh, actually you do have statistics where you see most fathers are, excuse me, most, most homes are fatherless. It's rare to see a motherless home, but you see many homes that are fatherless. More often than not, it's the woman that is raising the children by herself, not the dad. More often than not, it's the woman that is pushing morality in the home, not the dad. More often than not, it's the woman that is bringing everybody, everybody to Mass, not the dad. And that is something very bad. It should not be like that. That is our duty. But why does that happen? It's because we center our decisions on myself. If you think about it, how do you figure out what you want to eat? Me. How do you figure out how you want to be entertained? Me. How do you figure out whether if you're going to go to Mass on this weekday or not, if, if it's not a holiday of obligation? Me. How do you figure out anything in your life? What do I want to do? That's a question that we always ask ourselves. What do I want to do? What do I like? What, what do I need? 
And the thing with John the Baptist is he was entirely the other way around. His question was God. John the Baptist didn't like to eat locusts. He didn't like to eat honey. Many times I'm sure he was in the desert and he was smelling the, the you know, like on Fridays, you know, he was smelling the meat in the restaurants. But he would ask himself, what does God want me to eat? Where does God want me to sleep? What does God want me to do? Imagine how your decisions would change. If every decision that you made in your life, the question that you would ask yourself was, what is more pleasing to God right now? Give you a few examples. You have a job. And no offense, you know, someone here just got a new job, so that, that's not related. <laughs> but someone uh, gets a new job, and you have a job opportunity that is, they pay very well, you can make it, it's very easy. Your question is just, can I gain more money? But what if you ask the, the other question? What if you said, before you take that, that job, you said, what does God want me to do? What is more pleasing to God? Is this job going to help me? It's going to give me more money, yes. Is it going to help me to save my soul more? Is it going to help me to raise my children better? Is it going to help me so that my children sin less? And if it doesn't, then I don't take the job. And I don't take the money. See how the, 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 the decision entirely changes. Give you another example. You have friends or a family or a party that they're inviting you to. And you say, well, I really enjoy these friends. I really enjoy this member of my family, this and that. I want to have it. I want to go. I enjoy it. Change the outset, the outlook, and say, is this pleasing to God? Is it pleasing to God that I go with these people? Is it pleasing to God that I go to the Super Bowl? Is it pleasing to God that I go here or there? It's scary to think about it, because if you think about it, many of your decisions will be changed, and, and, and you will be committed to a more perfect life. But that is how we should be. I want to give you a story here, you know, an example actually from my dad. My dad, when he was, he must have been around my age, 35, 36. Um, and so he had three children, I believe, at that time. And he was offered, this was during the Gulf War. He's an architect. And he was offered to go to Kuwait, I think he was, to rebuild the cities. And it was a huge job. He was going to get a lot of money. And he thought about it because it was a huge step in his career. But then, obviously, his thought was here, thankfully. And he said to himself, am I going to get the mass? No. Um, are my children going to be raised there properly? No. Well, then, no, I, I stay here in my tiny little job, and I don't make a lot of money, but I'm going to set that aside. And he made that decision several times. I know because I saw it that when he was, you know, as we were growing older, Many times he had the choice to make more money. And many times he said no, because this was the question in his mind. <clears throat> Give you another extreme example. Let's say that a man is left by his wife, and he has you know, three, four children that he has to raise on himself. And obviously the, the question comes, I need this, I need that. You know, Raising the children is too difficult. But if he changes this mindset and he says, what does God want me to do? The answer is going to be raise your children and tough it up and be alone for the rest of your life. And he does. And that changes everything. So notice this. And, you know, from this talk, let's, let's go back out there. But with this thinking of 
from now on, I'm going to try to change my decision-making to this question. What is more pleasing to God? And this goes even for our daily lives. I go back home and I have dinner with my wife and then my wife is washing the dishes and I go and sit on the couch and I start watching TV. Ask yourself this question. What is more pleasing to God? Not me. What is more pleasing to God? I have an argument with my wife and maybe I feel like, you know, I want to uh, win the argument and I start raising up my voice. What is more pleasing to God? I go to dinner and my wife cooks something that tastes horrible. <laughs> what is more pleasing to God? <laughs> so that you, you see the difference there. <clears throat> Any questions so far? No, I see you guys all very serious, but. Okay. Um, so if there's a decision that you have to make where there's something that you feel you could make work, you know, it could go towards the me or the selfish route, can you still work it out? Does that make sense? Like, Yeah, no, I mean, there are things that are not always clear. You know, sometimes you might see a decision where, for example, taking a job and you see, well, there is risks and there is, yeah. you know, both sides. And in those cases, I mean, what, what matters is that you do the right thing, you know, that you do as best as you can. You might make mistakes, you know, that happens to me. I make mistakes a lot of times. Um, but the point is, well, I'm trying to do my best and that's it. And here's the thing, though, if you make a decision and that's happened to me, you make a decision and you start going in that way direction and then you realize, OK, this is not going well. You know, there's more sin coming here. There is maybe more danger coming here, even if there's no sin. Uh, I see that my family is stepping aside. I see that my children are not there with me anymore. Then I have to just stop, full stop, and then go back the other way. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. But that's how we act. Um, when it comes to this question, just to finish with this part, someone might say, Father, that's, 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 that's too much, too difficult, or whatever. Well, I'll ask you, what's the other option? You know, how, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't I, in all my decisions, ask myself, what is more pleasing to God? What's a good reason against it? There is no good reason against it, because we're servants of God. That's, we're slaves of God. We're made for Him. So, this is, if you notice, a big foundation of humility, just to change that. <clears throat> Let's go to this part of the consequences, and we go to renunciation. We were talking about St. John the Baptist uh, denying himself many things. And, and there is, when we talk about being treated as sinners, as we deserve, well, the side of that is precisely renunciation, what we call also penance. This is something that is very uh, unfamiliar, unpracticed by our society. I don't know how many men in our parish would do penance. Uh, I don't know how many men in a seminary do penance or anywhere. But we ought to do penance. Why do we have to do penance? Because this, to change from the me to God, I need to start denying myself. I need to start controlling myself. And that's why we do penance. It's little things that we have to deny ourselves. You know, and, and these are things that can be very simple. It can be measuring how much time I rest, measuring how much time, how, what I eat, 
uh, saying to myself, okay, I'm going to eat whatever you give me. You know, it might, that could be a sacrifice for some people to go to the wife and say, I'm going to eat whatever you give me. I'm not going to ask for anything. There was a priest that was, he was a priest that my parents, uh, that brought my parents to tradition. And he was famous because no one could figure out what he liked. People would go and say, Father, what do you want? He would take whatever. And they would give him all kinds of food. And sometimes they would give him food just to make, to see what he did. No reaction, nothing, you know, not a smile, nothing. He would, he would just eat whatever he would be fed. Imagine what a heaven it would be for your wife if you were to do that. You know, that, that she would love that for sure. But that's a little sacrifice. It's a little penance that we can do. And it can be pretty great. Penance is then that to, to there's two degrees to this, to renunciation, to let's say penance. The one is moderation, and the other one is to deny oneself. This is necessary. Like, this is necessary as if you go to hell if you don't. This is morally necessary. What does that mean? That means when it comes to eating, sleeping, pleasure, all that kind of stuff, you need to have moderation. If you don't, you go to hell. You know, you need to say, moderate the kind of sheets that you wear, you, you use. You need to use to moderate how you shower. You need to moderate what you eat, all that kind of stuff. The use of marriage, for example. This is necessary, absolutely. This is, I say, morally necessary, which means to say, it's not like you'd go to hell if you don't, but it's it's almost necessary to have this other one. In other words, I need to learn to deny myself in little things if I'm going to stay away from sin. Um, I'll give you some practical examples to go very practical. You know, one goes and showers and you take the, the I don't know if you, any of you guys do cold showers, but some people do. But usually, you know, people go and go with the hottest shower that you can get, right? And, and it's like, well, no, maybe you deny yourself a little bit and go a little bit with the cold water. Or maybe you don't buy those fancy sheets and you buy some sheets. That, that'd be a decision also for the wife to make. But you see what I mean? Like not be so soft, so, so easy on yourself. A lot of you guys are farmers and you know the difference. You can see the difference from no offense to the city boys here. I'm one. You can see the difference between a city boy and a farmer. And you can see the difference, for example, from someone that lives up north where the conditions are very rough from someone that lives in the south or in a very temperate climate. The climate just makes you more manly if it's difficult. And if you don't have that, then you have to do this. You have to be rough on yourself a little bit. And this brings you to humility as well. To better understand why we have to do this, going back to the me and God, right? Uh, that's, that looks pretty bad, but then I'm writing like that. We have been driving 200 miles this direction. <coughs> Renunciation is when you stop and you start driving the other way. And you're going to go slowly, but to go to God, that's what you have to do. You have to start controlling yourself and then going the other way. This brings me to why humility is not weakness. This is not weakness. You can see that that's not weakness. It's actually quite hard. 
I can tell you that there are some penances that I'm particularly afraid of, and they're not anything difficult. It's just that, you know, they're harder on yourself. There was a story, this was a, when I was in the monastery, at the night you would hear all the, you know, the, the penances of the monks. So you would, all the lights would go out and you start hearing, tack, 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 tack. And you know, some of us had a belt and the belt just makes a lot of noise and it doesn't cause any pain. So it's this kind of cheating. But there was, they were telling me a story of a guy, this was in a monastery in, in South America, and you would walk, walk by his cell and you would just hear like, wah, 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 ah, wah, ah. And people were like shocked. And one day, one guy was walking by and he opened the door and the guy was slamming the door. Ah, ah. That doesn't do anything, right? <clears throat> it takes courage to deny ourselves. And that's why humility, I say, is, is strength. Now, I'm talking about physical stuff here, but we're going to go into the, the intellectual and spiritual part here. The greatest thing that we can deny to ourselves is what's spiritual. That's what's really difficult. And that's where you really see humility being as a strength. It's difficult to deny yourself food, but it's a lot more difficult to deny yourself your own will. And say, for example, in something as, as simple as where are we going to go on vacation? And your wife wants to go somewhere and you want to go somewhere else. And you say to yourself, I hate that place. I hate, you know, talking with those people, whatever. It's always so hard. But I'm just going to shush my mouth and I'm going to smile and I'm going to go where she wants to go. As long as it's not sinful, right? As, not, as long as there's nothing wrong with that. Why? To deny myself, to deny my will. That is, that's worth a lot more, a lot more than anything physical than you can do. You know where else you see it? In obedience. As a, as a husband or a man, usually you won't be able to practice obedience with your wife or, or with your children, let alone, because you are the authority, right? You're the one that, that gives orders. You're the one that has to do it. But there's a form of obedience that superiors have, and that is... You see the, the desires of your subjects and you accommodate to them against your own. And I, I, I can tell you so many times this happens, for, for example, with me and the sisters. They don't give me orders, but I can see that sister, for example, would like me to be here for the program. And I might have more important stuff to do, but I'll, I'll accommodate to that. She didn't give me the orders, but I, as a, as a, as a superior, I'm accommodating to the will of my inferior. Give you another example. Let's say that uh, I know that when my, my wife is cleaning the dishes or doing the kitchen and the children are all going crazy and it would be very easy for me to just go and sit down and relax. Well, I'll accommodate to the will of my inferior and I'll go and do what she would want me to do without any orders. And that's obedience. That's a form of obedience. That's the obedience that superiors ought to have to their inferiors. That's, that's what our Lord does when he goes and washes the feet of his disciples. Our Lord never, to, never took orders from his disciples, but he was feeding them. He was making sure that they rested. He was making sure that they were doing okay. He was tendering them. As superior, you as a house, uh, as a house father, I could say, you actually get to practice more obedience in that sense. Because, for example, your children are also a little bit of a tyrant to you sometimes. You know, when you have to 
make sure that they're playing and make sure that they're cleaning their house, their room, and make sure that they're all doing all the stuff that they need to do. They're really like little tyrants on your back. You give them the orders, but you're subject to them. And that's a good thing, and that's a good chance for you to practice obedience. And something that I would like to emphasize here is this. Every time that you don't, you are relinquishing duty. Does that make sense so far? And this comes with humility. There is a big difference for you as a husband or a father to do something because you have to, to do something because you don't want your wife to yell at you or, or you don't want him to be, her to be grouchy than to do it because you are humble, because you're saying, this is my duty to serve. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve her and to serve my children as a superior, but I'm here to serve them. And that is the main aspect of humility, to serve. <clears throat> I hope I'm being clear. I, I won't take it too long, but this is what you see also in St. John the Baptist, right? When the time comes for our Lord to step over, when, our, when the time comes for our Lord to take the main spotlight, so to say, he steps back and he says to his disciples, you go to him, you know, I'm, I'm disappearing now. I'm taken out of the picture. I disappear because it's not about me. It's about God, what God wants, and it's about obeying God. Here, I'll just make a brief parenthesis there. As a father or a husband, you always want to keep your authority and you always you want your wife to respect you and to listen to you, and you want your children to respect you and to listen to you, and you want your children to obey you. That's something that you want to do. I mean, there's nothing wrong. Actually, there's, it would be wrong to do the opposite. There's nothing wrong with you commanding your children and telling them to work. You know, or, or even if your wife wants to do the dishes and she wants to, to wait on you, as I was telling them to do that, that last talk. She wants to wait on you while you're eating. Well, let her do it. If she wants to do it, let her do it. But you find your way to serve her and you find your way to serve your children. Um, I I'll give you another example. And, and I talked to you about myself just because, you know, so that you see that this is all from real stuff. I feel embarrassed when I have to rest if the sisters are not resting. The other day I was... I fell asleep on the road the other day, and um, don't tell anyone, but all the people on YouTube. Uh, and that kind of made me think, okay, I have to sleep. I have to, to, I have to stop and, and go and take a nap. And I was trying to take a nap, and I know that sisters are working on the class or in the school at the time, and I, I, I was just embarrassed. I couldn't get myself to, to really rest because I was embarrassed about it. I cannot do it. Like, if I know that the sisters are working, I cannot be resting. I, I feel bad about it. The same should be, I think, in the case of every man, in the environment where you are, right? If you are the husband and your wife is there, I don't know how one could sit and watch TV or rest and, you know, stretch the feet while she's working and while the children are, are you know, a mess or whatever. I don't see how one can do that because I, when you're doing that, you're saying, I'm weaker than you. I'm less than you. I'm, more, I'm less responsible than you. I'm less strong than you. I'm, I'm less reliable than you are. And I don't think that's what we can do. There's a difference if the wife says, go ahead and rest. I want you to rest. You know, it'll bother me if you come and try to help me. <laughs> 
But as a rule, if I think for myself, if I was a husband and I saw my wife doing the dishes, I would think to myself, okay, she's doing the, her part of the job. I'm going to go and do my part of the job. I'm going to go and talk to the children and say, okay, how is your catechism? Do you know these things? Uh, how was your homework? Let's make sure that you did them. Let's go check out your rooms. You know, while she's doing her part of the job, you go and do your part of the job. You know, the sailors are doing cleaning the ship and getting the ready the guns and all the stuff. You, the captain, go and start doing your plan. Sit down and study at that time. Sit down and read. Sit down and write something. But be useful, right? Do something that is useful, not sitting down and watching TV or whatever else. I know that this is something that, you know, is often not said, but I think it is true. And, and I honestly will say it like this. I am a weak person. I'm, I'm not an example. I can say for myself that I'm a weak person and I'm nothing else, nothing close to a role model. But I know that if I feel like that, then everybody should have that. You know, if, if, am I, if I'm being here and I have those feelings and I, I behave like that, or I try to, well, every man should have more than that, if that makes sense. Okay. <clears throat> Let's go to the last part, and we'll finish with this. Uh, the part of thinking and acting lonely of oneself. This is properly humility. All the stuff that I've been talking about right now, I was just wasting your time. Just kidding. Um, this is things that go with it, or that are necessary to get there. But humility is really this, and as I say, this is the intellectual part and the will. And the will. So let's go to some practical stuff. How do you do this? The first thing is, I'll give you two, just two advice that we can have here. One is, never judge. This is straight from the gospel. Our Lord said literally that. And the other one is, I guess I would say it, don't trust. Your judgments. Absolutely. I'm sure there was a better way to say that, but. The first one, never judge. If you really want to be humble, you will never judge anyone because you, always, you will always consider yourself lower than everyone else. Right. So when when the thought comes, you know, oh, you know, she's doing this or that or, you know, he's doing this or that. And, you know, he's always so proud and he's always so stupid and he's always so lazy. Always go back to yourself and say, wait, I'm a sinner. I have a lot of graces from God and I don't I don't correspond to them. No reason for me to judge. I'm just going to abstain from that. I'm not even going to think about it. If it's true or not, God will know. But I for myself, I'm not going to judge. I'm excluding here what is your duty. When, when it's your children or your wife or someone that you have to make judgments, well, then you have to. It's your duty. But even then, it's not centered on yourself. It's not, I'm judging you because you did this to me or you did that to me. It's, it's rather, I'm judging what's my duty. I say, make the decision, and it's not personal at all. Does that make sense? So other than that, when it comes to, for example, my work friends and, and my family and all that kind of stuff, I make moral judgments when I need to, for example, saying this is wrong or that is wrong, what they're doing. But as a person, I don't know, they might be better than me because maybe it would have been worse if, if I was in their situation. Does that make sense? I was telling the ladies a story about St. Francis, which I'm sure most of you know. And 
when you read the life of St. Francis, most of the books are kind of modernized. But if you go to like the old books, the first ones that they made, it's really interesting how sincere they were. And one time St. Francis was walking with one of the monks. And the monk asked him, uh, Father, wh what do you think of yourself? Honestly, what, what do you think of yourself? And Francis said, I think I'm the worst sinner in the world. And that's kind of like what everyone would say, right? But then the monk was very honest. He said, no, don't give me that. I mean, how can you say that? That's not true. There's no way you can believe that without lying. Because, I mean, there's rapists and killers and murderers all over the place. And, and you're telling me that you're worse than them? I don't believe that. And then Francis said to them, no, here's the thing. They didn't receive all the graces that I have. If they had received the graces that I have, they would be better than me. But me, with all the graces that I have, I'm not where I should be. So I can truly say that I'm worse than them. And that should be our mindset, right? I mean, there might be someone at work or in your family that you say and you say, well, this person is worse in the sense that they're doing this bad thing or that bad thing. But as a person, maybe God sees me worse because I have received so many things and I haven't done anything with them or I haven't done as much as I should. So that's how we humble ourselves intellectually. I give this one, which is a very common fault for men and is very important. Many men find themselves making a judgment and they say, that's what it is and I, that's how it's gonna be and I, I don't care what anybody else says about it. And as a rule, a person that does that is very imprudent. Whoever it might be, if, if it's a priest, if it's a bishop, if it's a, a, a father, whoever it might be, if this is how you feel, you're going to make mistakes, huge mistakes. And the Bible says it it's him, itself. It, the Bible says, he who's, who has himself as a fool, as, excuse me, he who has himself as a master has a fool for a master, it says. A big sign of good humility is when you have to make a good an important decision and you make it, and yes, you have to make it because you're a man, but then you ask for advice or you are very willing to accept someone else challenging you and you listen to them. You see what I mean? It's very different, for example, if I make a decision and someone comes and says to me, hey, this is wrong because this and this and that, and I at least listen to him and I, okay, analyze it, and then I say, no, I think I'm right. I think this is my decision. <coughs> That's good. That was prudent because at least I heard them. But there are many men out there who will say, well, this is my decision and this is what we're going to do. But no, 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 I won't well, listen to that. No. And well, let's talk to father. No, no, no. Father has nothing to do with this. Well, let's talk to the bishop. No, no, no. This is my family. That's pride. It's, it's clear pride. And it's imprudent. And they make a mess on their families and on the world because they're making, they're following a fool. Does that make sense? So whenever you need it for advice, though, go to Father Augustine. Don't go to me. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. So this is the part, the intellectual part. In the will, how can we be humble in the will? Well, I, I said obedience already, and we kind of explained that. I'll put service as well. And I'll put sacrifice too. Obedience, obviously as a father, you can obey the priest, you can obey the bishops, you can obey the teachings of the church. 
And, and this should be done from the heart. I was giving an example, let's say for example, to give you an example of how this can be practiced. Let's say that we're doing a project here in the church. You know, this next weekend, we're arranging the Christmas gifts. And imagine that some guy here in the parish came and said to you, hey, you, can you go and get the, the, the poinsettias up there? That would get on, on your nerves immediately. You know, your blood would boil if someone comes and says, you know, with the snapping of the fingers, you'd be like, who are you? <laughs> but this is a good chance to practice humility. And you're not doing it out of witness. It's actually a, a, a matter of controlling yourself. You're saying to yourself, here's a good challenge for me. I can control myself. I can do what our Lord did. And I can humble myself and, and honestly say, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to put myself under you. Not because I'm weak, but because I want to do that for God's will, for God's love. That goes with service as well. You know, when you go home, for example, as I was saying, to be of service, to think to yourself, how can I serve them? Sometimes that service might be individual, as I was saying. It might be your studying. It might be your reading that you can be of service of other people. Or it, sometimes it might be your resting, too, like the day that I had to rest. Right? Sometimes it's like, okay, I, I do need to rest. But why? To serve. I'm resting so I can go back and serve. That's the whole point. And this leads us to sacrifice, which is, this should be the word that we should have in our foreheads, like tattooed in our foreheads, sacrifice. If you want to talk about manhood, sacrifice is manhood, nothing else. Yelling at people is not manhood, quite the contrary. Beating someone, beating, you know, as I say, the uh, food out of them is not, is not manhood. Having a lot of women is not manhood at all, quite the opposite, sacrifices manhood. And the perfect man was our Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, you see it in him. If you really want to be a man, and if you want to be a, the best man that you can be, measure this in your life. If the degree is very slow, then that's as much manhood as you have. And if the degree is very high, that's as much manhood as you have. And that's, that's just the truth of it. I'll finish with this last consideration and then we'll, a couple more. I'll, I'll let you, tell you a funny story. One of the mothers was telling me that I go harder on the men than on the women, <laughs> apparently. She was saying, oh, Father, I wish you went with, like that with us. Um, I don't know. But you're, you guys are always more serious than the ladies are, which is normal. That's how we are. Um, I want to give you a consideration real quick. The American culture is very much against humility. And one of the things that we grow up listening is, don't tell me what to do. You know, don't tell me what to do and that kind of stuff. And that is entirely opposite to Christianity. Christianity is all about humility. At some point, you might think to yourself, I don't need to humble myself so much. This is too much. I'm not supposed to take that. When that happens, just think of our Lord sitting with the crown of thorns. And, and our Lord with God, with the crown of thorns and the, all his face filled with blood, dust sticking into his blood, sweat and tears into his blood, the soldiers spitting and the spits, the spits sticking into his face. And see that our Lord sitting in there and the soldier with the reed smacking him in the face, in the face with a reed. And our Lord, I always picture him, I was telling the ladies the same, I always picture him, you know, falling as you would if you're smacked in the face, and then getting up and seating himself for another one. And when you think that God did that, 
there's no limit to how low can you go in the good sense that there's nothing that you could do that would be too humble for you, if you know what I mean. If you have to submit to another man, if you have to submit to someone being rude to you, if you, ha if you have to suffer a wife that is difficult or children that are difficult, just remember that. Say, okay, I'm, I'm not there yet. My face is not bleeding. No one's spitting in my face. I'm not, I don't have thorns stick in my, in my skull. I'm not down there yet. So there's nothing that I can do that is too bad. As we leave today then, let us try to keep these this things in mind. Sacrifice, to humble myself intellectually, especially in the sense of putting myself under other people, renouncing myself, denying myself, but most importantly, and here's where you can find it all. Go out of here today asking to yourself, whenever you have to make a decision, in your daily life, in your daily things, what is more pleasing to God? Not to me. What is more pleasing to God? I'll end today just by reminding you that the purpose of our group here is to, to pray that we're all staying out of sin and that all, especially the ones that didn't come to, that every man that belongs to the group stays out of sin. And for that, remember to pray, say a few prayers every day to pray for all the other men. Something that I like to do and I think we can do is when we are tempted, say the three Our Fathers and say them not only for you, but for all, everybody else. You know, let's say that I'm, I'm tempted, I say three are fathers, and I'll say, well, you know what, the devil's trying to punch me, I'm going to punch him twice as hard. I'm not going to pray for me only, I'm going to pray for everybody else. Boom, boom, boom. So that he doesn't come anymore. Okay? We'll end with a prayer. <clears throat> In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Our Lady, seat of wisdom, let's pray three our fathers. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I do want to say one thing, uh, just to cheer you up a little bit. I'm very happy with uh, what you guys are doing. I'm very happy with you guys coming to the reunion. And I honestly think that here in the parish, we have uh, very good men and very good women. We have a really good parish, I think. So... Uh, I say all these things, and many of these things you might, you might say to yourself, well, I don't do that. Well, it's because a lot of times it hasn't been told. But also because I'm painting for you the ideal, right? Like I'm saying, this would be the best. So our point is not that we're perfect, it's just that we're striving to be perfect. So if, it ever, if that thought ever comes to you, like, like, well, that's something I've never done. And, you know, we shouldn't feel bad about it. It's like, okay, well, now I have it. Now I have this, this input or that input. Now I can try to work in that direction. That makes sense? Okay. Any comments or complaints? 
Yes. When I said complaints, everybody went. I was having a question about um, just being a, a father of children who are kind yeah. of. You can sit down if you guys want to. Just the age of reason right underneath and trying to understand how much of this I can either be a role model or example versus like try to teach them directly or say you need to be humble versus just being humble myself if they're able to witness that and emulate that or if they really need to be like this is what you need to do now or mm -hmm. next time or whatever and how you balance that teaching versus just being an example that's actually a good point and i was going to say that and i forgot but uh, there needs to be that balance and and uh I think with children, and I might be wrong, you guys are parents, you know better than me, so correct me if I'm wrong. I think with children, children are very simple. So it's not, it's not like one can get very intellectual. It's just like you, so you say, this is what you need to do, and that's what you do. And that's how they learn those virtues. So for example, you can go to a child that is like, usually, some children are very, very you know, smart. But usually you can go to a child that is five years old or six years old and tell him, like, you have to be humble. Because they'll be like, well, okay, <laughs> whatever that means. Uh, but they learn that by saying, okay, uh, go help your mother, go help your father, go help your brother and sister, and, you know, do your bed and that kind of stuff. And when they don't, you know, you get uh, there on their case and that kind of stuff. And, and I, I go back to what I was telling you guys on the first talk. A very good way to instill to children humility, obedience, and respect is to make yourself that and, and rather to make them do that to you. And that's where it's very important for the father to say, you, for example, I remember my mother would say, go and kiss your dad. You know, before he goes out and be, when he comes to go home, I don't care what you're playing, I don't care what you're doing, you get up immediately and you go and kiss your dad goodbye or hello. And those little acts of respect that the child does every day, that teaches him humility. Or give you another example, as soon as the child raises his voice or gets a little bit, uh, uh, I don't know what the word is, murky, is murky? Uh, you know, our smart aleck, immediately punish. You know, that's, that's not tolerable. Uh, you know, if the child raises his voice to the mom, okay, bam, you know, nothing. I mean, I'm not saying anything big. Whatever the punishment, it might be in your house. But the point is to be made, as soon as he's disrespectful a little bit, as soon as they're getting out of line, immediately say, no, that's not allowed. The advantage that you have is, and some of you guys have, is when they're very little, they're, they're a Play-Doh. Like if you have a child and you, you start right now doing those things consistently and little by little, you don't need to do any big punishment. You don't need to do any big thing. Sometimes it's just a word. Sometimes it's just a look. But if you're consistent in enforcing those things, it'll be a heaven for you when they're older. The opposite is true. If right now one doesn't know what to do or one doesn't do it, then when they're teenagers, you have a whole problem in your hands which is unfortunately the case in most of the, you know, now in the world, because a lot of these things we don't know. So I would say more focus on, on making them do the things, you know, those kind of things, and they will learn little by little. And as for yourself, where you'll be able to practice those things is in being diligent, you know, in not, not, not shrinking away from that duty. Because I know, you know, I've lived through that when I was in with the Border Boys. Um, a lot of times one, one cowers from that. I don't, I don't know, I'm not saying it for you, but I would say it for myself. Like you see the situation and it's like, 
I really don't want to deal with that right now. You know, it's like, I don't want to, I, I just want to go rest, <laughs> you know? And that's where you can practice humility, where you say, no, you know what? I'm supposed to serve. I'm supposed to serve. So I'm just going to go on and do my duty, even if it's difficult. What was your question? Can you give us some examples of what humility is not, as far as having the appearance, but then just being weakness? Yeah, yeah, actually, there's some good ones in there. Uh, uh, for example, one good example of that would be uh, human respect. You know, when, when we're with a bunch of people and someone says something that is definitely wrong, and I know that it's my duty to say it. Sometimes it's not my duty to say anything. Other times it is. And when I shush myself because I'm afraid of being seen poorly or I'm afraid of being mocked or things like that, and, and that's, that's mere weakness. There's nothing of humility there. Another common one is, uh, well, what I, I was telling the ladies is called pusillanimity. And this is very common today, unfortunately, and I suffer a lot from, from seeing that. Who knows what this means? Mm -hmm. and, and what I mean by that is a lot of times people say, well, I'm not going to get into that, or I'm not going to take that project, or I'm not going to get that problem. I'm not going to try a little bit harder because, well, you know, I'm not good enough and this and that. And that's just pusillanimity, you know, give you an example. Uh, let's say that, let's say that we ask here, well, who wants to come and have a conference on the topic here for all the men? And everybody goes like, well, I don't think I can talk. I don't think I'm good enough. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes, you know, we know that we don't have that, that talent. But a lot of times it's just pusillanimity. It's just that I don't want to take a challenge. I don't want to take something that's difficult. And that goes a lot into the spiritual life too. Because a lot of times we don't want to commit more into the spiritual life. And so, for example, we want... Uh, you see that a lot of parishes today lack in activity. You know, lay people don't get involved. And a lot of it is just this pusillanimity and laziness. That, you know, when it comes to, okay, who wants to take care of teaching catechism on Sundays? Well, I'm not going to do that. Nobody wants to do it. And that's just pusillanimity. And that's not humility. Humility allows you to see the talents that you have, and you say to yourself, okay, I'm good at this, I'm good at that, but then I put it to service. And that's true humility. Most importantly, you'll see if humility is true, and this is a total, uh, this is like uh, foolproof. When the person is humble, diligent, and excuse me, not humble, obedient, diligent, and happy. <coughs> because humility brings you to happiness as well. Because when you're humble, anybody, anything that anybody does to you, is not wrong. You know what I mean? Like if, if a friend at, at the work, at your job, uh, you know, totally treat you like trash, you're not humble, you're gonna be like, you know, going home and just, you know, all angry about it and wanting to go back because you're not humble. If you're humble, you're gonna take that and it's kind of like the jujitsu thing. You're gonna take that aggression and you're gonna make it a profit for you. You know, this person did something bad to me, I'm gonna take it and say, well, Purgatory time. I needed that. It's good for me. Well, I take it and the rest of my day is fine. So when you see people that are very, very happy, like interiorly happy and sincerely happy, most of the time are people that are really humble. So any other questions or comments? Yeah, you, your, your comment on uh, speaking out, uh, 
uh, I, I can just give an example. Like uh, we grew up in a very atheistic you know, environment, and a lot of our friends or you know, acquaintances were making fun of religion hmm. in many different ways. And one thing that my father never tolerated was that. Mm-hmm. You know, both with the casual acquaintances or even with close friends. If anybody said something funny about religion, it became extremely serious. And he just shut this down, right? And we have seen it as a kid. And it was very powerful. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And that's something that we need, those kind of things are things that we need to grow. I'll, I'll finish with this. You know, but that kind of goes related to what he's saying and what you're saying right now. We have, we're going to have a, a talk about temperaments at some point. We all have different temperaments. That means to say we have different inclinations. So for some people, for example, they're more violent in their temperament. And for those people, that kind of reaction, it's very easy to attain. It's a good reaction. But what I'm saying is, for some people, it's, it's just natural. You do it. Other people, for example, myself, I'm melancholic, are more tempered in their temperaments. They're more leaning to, to being reflexive and, and, you know, more like sadness and being quiet and tranquil. And you kind of have to balance that. So as a parent, for example, if you know that you're choleric and that you're, you know, your first reaction is always to, like, snap back, you kind of need to tone it down a little bit and make sure that you're always reflecting on what you're going to do. If you're melancholic, for example, myself, or if you're more quiet, then you kind of need to up the ante a little bit and you need to say to yourself, I know that I'm not as reactive as I should be. So for example, in that case, my natural reaction in those kind of situations is not to to snap back at people. My natural reaction is to just quiet down and sit down. And I have to work, to consciously work to put myself in that situation of saying, no, I need to answer. I need to say something about it. And I'm still in that process. And so each one of us has to see that, okay, where am I, you know, where am I balanced to? And then how do I have to balance myself to, to that position? Um, there are many examples like that, you know, but that's, that is humility for men, is the part where you balance your duty and you never fulfill your, you never um, abandon your duty. And at the same time, you think lowly of yourself and you put yourself under others in the sense of whenever you can. That makes sense? All right. Well, thank you so much for coming. And if you need that, I'll give you my blessing. I forgot about that. <clears throat> Benedictio Dei Omnipotentis. Patris et Filii et Spiritus Santi, descendat super vos et maniat semper. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Thank you for listening to The Catholic Wire. If you have found this show helpful, please say a prayer for all our collaborators. Don't forget to subscribe to our channels and share with your friends. For questions and comments, you may contact us at thecatholicwire.org.